just covered the Kardashians premiere a couple of days ago, but tonight on Showtime, the first lady premieres, and I've been lucky enough to see screeners for the first three episodes because I wrote a piece for Harper's Bazaar on the beauty transformations of Viola Davis into Michelle Obama, Michelle Pfeiffer into Betty Ford, and Jillian Anderson into Eleanor Roosevelt. This show zooms in on those particular three first ladies for this anthology series. I can totally foresee future seasons with a new trio of first ladies. I have long been interested in the office of the first lady and the women who have occupied it and watched every episode of C-SPAN's First Ladies, Influence and Image, which I will link to in the show notes. I also read the book that accompanied it, First Ladies, Presidential Historians on the Lives of 45 Iconic American Women by Susan Swain, who is co-president and CEO of C-SPAN. So I asked Susan if she'd come on the show and chat with me in the lead up to the Showtime series, and happily she said yes. So a little about Susan. In addition to being co-president and CEO of C-SPAN, the network she has worked for since 1982, she is a journalist and author that has written four books about, yes, the First Ladies, but also about the Supreme Court, Abraham Lincoln, and the best and worst presidents. She's fantastic, and I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. Take a listen. Susan, I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. Anytime I have an opportunity to talk about first ladies, I jump on it. It's such an interesting and fun topic. I know. And your your voice, and I saw your face a moment ago, just reminds me of I watched every single one of the C-SPAN First Ladies series. So I had gotten so used to hearing your voice throughout every night. And so it's great to have you on the show and have your voice on my show for a change. That's amazing. And I'm really excited. Yes, I'm really excited about this Showtime show, The First Lady. And you and I share a deep interest and affection for the First Ladies of the United States. I'm just wondering what drew you into the first ladies and what continues to compel you? Well, I've worked in Washington for about 90% of my career. So, you know, when you're, when you work in DC and a business like I'm in C-SPAN, which covers the government, uh, the presidency and the white house really impacts a great deal of life in this city. So there's the professional and also being part of the Washington DC community. But more specifically, we started getting in at C-SPAN into the history business. And we we looked at presidents from every which way to Sunday. And then we looked at mm-hmm. presidential contenders who ran for the office. And a, a group of historians that we work with came to us and said, hey, you're missing a story here. This was probably back in 2012, 2013, almost 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, that you really Really need to tell the story of the first ladies. Well, we jumped in with both feet and spent a full year on the air with a, a personal televised biography, as you alluded to, Rachel, of every single first lady. And then uh, we were offered the opportunity by Public Affairs, the publishers that we've worked with, to turn that into a book, which I edited. And I just got the bug. They're such enormously interesting women. I continue to do a first lady's Twitter feed. And I've uh, joined a group of historians called uh, FLAIR, First Ladies Association for Research and Education, uh, that are a group of women historians, mostly women, um, who are trying to to do academic research on these women. So what? long story short is that over the past eight to 10 years, these women are finally getting their due, recognized for the contributions that they've made to American society. And that's a good thing. 
Absolutely. These women are completely compelling and fascinating from Martha Washington all the way up to Dr. Jill Biden. And we will, I will talk about the the C-SPAN series in a moment, but listeners, if you love the first ladies, like we do, then Susan is the person to follow. She, you are, you've written the book on it. There's that series. It's, it's fantastic. And, and it all ties into on Sunday, the first lady on Showtime, a new anthology series is premiering. I told you offline that I've actually had the opportunity to see the first three episodes of the show because I wrote an article about it for Harper's Bazaar and it is a remarkable show. So I feel like I know the answer to this question, but will you be watching? Well, of course, of course, (laughs) of course, course. especially because I've read so many articles like yours uh, and it's really whetted my appetite to see what it's going to look like and when it actually hits the screen. Yeah. And, you know, coming into the show on Sunday, the first lady is a role that has never been officially defined. Every woman that has held the role has done something a little different with it. But what would you say are the commonalities of the role across the years? So in essence, what does a first lady do? Well, there, there's two aspects of it. One is the political partner of the president. And that's the part that we don't see uh, either in the years leading up to the president running for office. And I, I wanna come back to that in a moment. Or, or there is the public role of first lady, which is defined by the person in the role during the administration. And what it all boils down to, it's an enormous spotlight that is on you constantly. And it's really easy to make a misstep and create a political liability for the president. But at the same time, it's a tremendous opportunity to be able to influence issues that you care about, underscore aspects of society that you think need attention. And uh, people that have been in the role have realized that and used it to best effect. Coming back to the political partner, I think anybody that's listening to this that has ever had anyone in their life or themselves involved in running for public office, and this is all the way down to the most local level, it is a consuming job. Mm -hmm. And uh, the women who have, and it's been, of course, women so far, stood by the side of these uh, men as they have aspired to high office, sacrifice a lot. They are home, uh, often raising kids for much of the year as their spouse is out campaigning, raising money for other candidates, uh, which is the only way to get ahead and left behind really to make all the decisions at home uh, and also still be in the public spotlight just by being married to these people. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's not an easy life. And I think that comes across in Betty Ford's story, especially. Well, we're going to talk about her in just a second, but the first lady on Showtime zooms in on Eleanor Roosevelt, Betty Ford, and Michelle Obama specifically. I didn't know what to expect when I started watching the show. I didn't know if it would uh, be an amalgamation of all of the first ladies that have done the role. I believe there have been 53 women that have stood in as hostess of the White House, Uh, but it makes sense, right, to, to just really focus on a couple and tell their story deeply. So I know you were not in the writer's room for the Showtime show, but why do you think these three stood out as the focus of the show? Well, I, as I understood what they were looking for were, were women who had found their voices in the mm-hmm. role of first lady. Okay. And uh, there's definitely a commonality uh, among the three in that regard. 
I'm sure they also were striving for a little political balance to have a, two Democrats and a Republican. So that's uh -huh. another aspect of it. Uh -huh. But they are uh, people who were, I'd say, um, change agents in different capacities during the time that their husbands were in office. And in Betty Ford's case, I'd say equally so. Uh, well, not just Betty Ford, but Eleanor Roosevelt. Here, I'm, I'm actually expanding my thesis. All three of them have continued <laughs> after they left the White House to have an influence on society in various ways. So let's talk about Eleanor Roosevelt first. She really broke the mold as first lady. First of all, she was in office for 12 years from 1933 to 1945. So she's the longest serving first lady of all time and always will be because of term limits now. She was known as not just the first lady of the United States, but really the first lady of the world because of her numerous human rights achievements. So how I really don't know how Mrs. Roosevelt felt fit everything into her day. I'll never know that, but it was almost superhuman. She definitely reshaped and redefined the role. How did she do that? How did she reshape and redefine the role of first lady? Well, I would say that the role, the mold might have been broken, but it didn't stay broken. Uh, because okay. interestingly, the next several first ladies who followed her all the way through to Jacqueline Kennedy really were in much more traditional roles uh, than than uh, you know than we're used to today. So Eleanor was one of a kind, um, and in many ways, really continues to be not just for the length of time, but for how incredibly active she was in public life. I think the the challenge for first ladies since then has not to get out too far in front of the president because of the political problems that it creates. Uh, and Eleanor Roosevelt and most of the historians that we talked to for the series suggest that this was most often in full cooperation and understanding with FB, FDR, really got out in front of him often and sometimes in public disagreements with the, uh, the the Roosevelt policies, but it was a not so much good cop, bad cop situation, but I can go farther because I'm not elected mm -hmm. and we can get the conversation rolling and get people talking about this and maybe we'll advance the official policy area where she was, two areas where she was really spectacular in this was in civil rights and also in uh, recognition, professional recognition for women. Yeah, and fun fact about Mrs. Roosevelt, she married, of course, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was her fifth cousin. So her maiden name and her married name is Roosevelt. So she had been Eleanor Roosevelt all her life. Eleanor so Roosevelt Roosevelt, yes. <laughs> exactly. Know, one of the things, interestingly, looking for comparisons about Eleanor Roosevelt and Betty Ford is both of them were children of alcoholics and had, you know, they, they, they both um, looked like they had lots of privilege as they were growing up but they had fractured families. By contrast with Michelle Obama, she, uh, she lived in a almost uh, leave it to beaver kind of family when she was yeah. growing up with her parents, the Robinsons who were totally involved parents, pushing the idea of education um, and um, uh, doing family trips all the time to locations, working on homework projects, and really were responsible for instilling in them a sense of self. I think in the case of Eleanor Roosevelt and Betty Ford, they had to discover themselves as life evolved. I love that. Let's talk about Betty Ford for a minute. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt is one of the most famous, well-known first ladies that has ever undertaken the role, but Betty Ford, unless you are like 
us and definitely more so you than me, but I love the first ladies too. Unless you study the first ladies, Betty Ford flies a little more under the radar though. She's one of my top three favorite first ladies. So she was in office. She publicly addressed her struggles with breast cancer, alcoholism, substance abuse. She championed women's rights and was just so candid, which I love about her. And she immediately followed into office Pat Nixon, who was almost wildly poised and composed, especially in light of all that was happening in her husband's administration. So Mrs. Ford's candor was probably even more evident. And, you know, what was Mrs. Ford like as a first lady, especially since it's a role she never envisioned being her husband, President Gerald Ford was never even elected as vice president, let alone president. So what was she like? Well, I was not yet born when Mrs. Ford was first lady. So what was she like as first lady? Well, she had hoped that her husband, Gerald Ford, as you said, never wanted to be president. He, his big ambition was to be Speaker of the House because he mm -hmm. came from Congress uh, to the vice presidency during Watergate and then uh, really rather rapidly after that into the White House. In a funny sort of way, Rachel, she actually was at her at her happiest during the White House years once the idea of being in the White House Came, uh, you know, became uh, um, customary because Gerald Ford was one of those people that I was referring to before because of his ambitions to be Speaker of the House. He was often on the road for 200 plus days a year. Wow. At least in the White House, she had him by her, her side. They were there as partners mm -hmm. in this giant responsibility of setting the nation back to some sense of normalcy after the shock of Watergate. And that was the thing that really appealed to the public about both of the Fords, how just decent they were and how everyday folks they were. And the fact that she said that even with the political uh, apparatus sometimes wincing about the things that she would talk about, that she was just going to be herself when she was in the White House. Now, they were not public about her addiction problems until after she left. And again, we learned in our series that that she actually was pretty, had it pretty much under control during the White House years. Uh, she was fulfilled. She had a lot of sense of responsibility. The president was there, her family was around her. And uh, it really, after losing the election, after campaigning so hard, and then the transition back into public life where her real struggles with both prescription pain medication, she'd had an injury that she had been prescribed and then over-prescribed, and then alcoholism uh, really reared itself and culminated in a very painful family intervention. Uh, where she was hospitalized, uh, came to grips with the seriousness of her problem and dealt with it, and then went on with Leonard Firestone to found the Betty Ford, Betty Ford Clinic in California, which she and the president supported, not just with raising money and being out speaking about it, but she served on the board until her last days. So she became a real vocal advocate for uh, alcoholism, dependency, and the need uh, to have facilities and resources for people to address the problem. Well, I'm really excited for you to see the series because Michelle Pfeiffer as Betty Ford, there's some really tough scenes of her in the grips of her addiction and it's incredibly moving. So I'm, I'm really excited for you to see that play out heartbreaking in real life, but Michelle, Pfeiffer, all three of these women, Jillian Anderson as Eleanor Roosevelt, Michelle Pfeiffer as 
Betty Ford and Viola Davis as Michelle Obama are just absolutely breathtaking in these roles. And let's move on finally to Michelle Obama. I feel as though Mrs. Obama really needs no introduction because she broke the mold mightily as the first African-American first lady our nation has ever had. Of course, she of among these three is the most contemporary. Um, as you said, hailing from Chicago, growing up in a Leave it to Beaver ask family there. She went to Princeton and later Harvard Law. She met future husband, President Barack Obama, when she was his mentor at a law firm in Chicago. And of course, went on to have an extremely successful career of her own, including working for the University of Chicago hospitals before her husband ran for president and ultimately won in 2008. So, you know, other than the obvious, how did she move the needle forward in the office of first lady? What was her impact in the role? You know, Rachel, just listening to you, I think we should turn the tables and let me interview you. You clearly know and love these subjects. I'm obsessed with the first ladies. <laughs> That's great. This is this is a passion for me. Like I've read every book there ever was on first ladies. And we're going to talk in a second about first lady memoirs, but I, I love them. They compel me so much because there is no definition for this role. Right. And, yeah. and they all take it on and it's not even a role that they were elected to do. They just happened to marry a man who had political ambitions, or maybe they married a man that didn't have political ambitions when they married him. And suddenly he's the president. And now they've got this, this job to do and raise children. And so, yeah, I just, you know, I mean, obviously we, most of us listening to this podcast were alive when Mrs. Obama was first lady, but how would you say she defined the role? Well, on the point of marrying a politician, Eleanor Roosevelt knew she was marrying a politician. Betty Ford, I just, if I can backtrack a, a minute. Uh -huh. she was, it's a wonderful story actually about, uh, about marrying a politician. She was a divorcee, which was not really publicly acceptable uh -huh. when uh -huh. her husband was running for Congress. So he he actually timed the wedding so it wouldn't it wouldn't impact his first congressional campaign. Uh -huh. He was late for the rehearsal dinner because <laughs> he was out campaigning. This story even gets better. He comes to the wedding also late with mud on his shoes because he was going door to door. <laughs> and he took her on their wedding night to listen to a presidential campaign speech by Thomas Dewey. Oh my. Apparently. I don't Apparently. know if that would fly with me. But. Yeah, no kidding. Apparently, President Ford made up for it with lots of good honeymoons for the rest of their marriage. I would hope so. I would. But hope so. Michelle Obama, by contrast, she really didn't marry a politician. And the story that we learned in our series is that when he was really moving in that direction, recognizing that it was a way to channel what he was doing as a community organizer, but actually have impact by sitting at the seats of power, making decisions in first the Illinois legislature, then the Senate, then of course the White House. But when he decided he was gonna work, uh, run for Congress, he had to get Michelle's older brother, Craig, to lobby for him <laughs> because he <laughs> knew it was not gonna fly with Michelle Obama. But the, the reality is that once she said yes, she was all in and she was a tremendous campaigner. Um, she, in the quote that we used for the book, she talked about the role of first lady as an evolutionary process. You grow into the role. And I think any of your listeners who watched her over the years can see that she did in fact that and continued to grow as a public persona in the years since leaving the White House. 
what she for me she is she decided from a political perspective because she got out in front a few times on the campaign trail and it became controversial you'll remember some of those instances mm -hmm. so she really focused on traditional first lady issues children families military families but she did it with style using lots of of uh, social media and uh, other ways to get out in front of the public that uh, spoke to her strengths uh, in front of audiences, really connected with people on a local uh, level in Washington, D.C. and wherever she visited, really had a human touch. And uh, that really spoke to people. So she became a tremendous political asset for President Obama while he was in office and uh, certainly um, managed in the years since she's left to build on that currency with him and on her own to continue working on issues and also being you know very successful uh, you know business-wise yeah. since she's left office well my last question for you is going to marry my love of the first ladies with my love of books so you mentioned some things that mrs obama has been doing after she left office one of those things is writing my one of my favorite first lady memoirs of all time becoming which listeners if you have not read that book yet i think you might be the only person in america that hasn't but you you really need to take a look at this book great book so since this is a book focused podcast specifically nonfiction books i'd love to know which first lady memoirs are your favorites and by the way 13 first ladies have written 22 memoirs and it's especially common for modern first ladies to write a memoir after they leave office so i'd love to know which first lady memoirs you've enjoyed well, this is a, a, a um, surprise question, so I haven't had time to really think about it. I've read yes. so, so many of them for the, the series, but I have to say, while First Lady's memoirs, um, and I've, for example, uh, read um, uh, the, the books that um, came out with um, Mrs. Bush uh, after she left, both Mrs. Bush, mm -hmm. I, I find that while it's interesting to hear their own story through their own words, I really enjoy traditional historian written biographies. Yeah, because you do get uh, the the distance um, and a little bit of perspective about what's going on in the world and and why things might have happened and and their motivations. Uh, one of the most recent ones that came out last year that was a tremendous bestseller is called uh, Matriarch, and it's on the story of it's Barbara Bush's life. And well, I haven't she, read that one yet. I oh, definitely recommended to you because she was, of course, the only first lady in history who was both spouse, one of two first ladies in history, both spouse and mother to a president. I know you know who the other one is. Yeah, that's Abigail Adams. Uh, long, can't put one over you on you. Cannot put one ago. over on you. <laughs> long time ago. So well, I would recommend Matriarch as, as an interesting story of Barbara Bush, who was a fascinating person. Um, as Talk about a first lady who spoke her mind. She certainly did while she was in the White House and beyond, and uh, often gotten into a little hot water, but she certainly uh, was not shy about being who she was as a person. And that's the real trick to being a first lady is to find your, your voice in, the, in this tremendous responsibility and be able to use it to good effect, but at the same time, recognizing you're not the elected official and you don't wanna do anything that will get in the way of the family business, which is politics after all. Yes, well, here's, I will be adding that book to my list immediately, but here's another book listeners you must add to your list. First Ladies, Presidential Historians on the Lives of 45 Iconic American Women. 
Susan's book is out now, has been, love it. And the First Lady on Showtime premieres April 17th, which is Sunday. Thank you so much for being here today. What an honor it is to talk to you. Well, the honor is all mine. It's a delight to talk to someone who shares an interest in these interesting women who over the course of history have had a way to influence history. They've also reflected the changing role of women in American society, something we all have experienced during our lifetimes and they become emblematic of it. So that's another window on American history. Love it. I, I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you again, Susan. So fun facts about First Lady memoirs. The earliest was by Julia Grant, published in 1975, 73 years after her death in 1902. Helen Taft's 1914 memoir is the earliest recorded memoir of a First Lady, followed by Edith Wilson's in 1939, and then four by Eleanor Roosevelt. Lady Bird Johnson kickstarted the modern trend of First Lady memoirs, writing hers in 1970, followed by two Betty Ford memoirs in 1978 and 1987, respectively. Rosalind Carter, Nancy Reagan, and Barbara Bush each wrote two. Hillary Clinton has three. And Laura Bush, Michelle Obama, and Jill Biden round out the list. If you love First Ladies, between the aforementioned memoir, C-SPAN's First Lady series, Susan's book, and the Showtime series, you've got content to last you a long time. Enjoy, and we'll be back soon.